The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Hey, hey, welcome Disability Law Show. So good to be back for this hour. My guys are here. Savannah to Martin, Martin Willems taking care of the main part of the show, doing all the heavy lifting. They are your lawyers. They are the ones you want to reach out to. Sam Firu to Mark and LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. And uh, to do so at your leisure. Whenever you think it's appropriate, one 821 5900 Always there just to answer questions, have a chat, put you in the right direction for sure. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And there's a couple of little websites we'll talk about throughout the show that are going to be useful to you as well. But uh, we'll get to them one at a time. Don't want to overload you right off the top. But, guys, we always start off with a, uh, with a good topic here in just a bit. This one's a beauty. Three key questions about surveillance and LTD. I love this topic gives a lot of people stress and anxiety for sure we'll get to that in just a bit but uh savannah you literally as i as i open up the show here today you got a question through my disabilityquestions.com it's it's seriously fresh what uh what's it all about pal yeah john and this is a really good question because the uh the person who wrote it uh, even ended the question by saying is this uh what i've experienced or explained a common issue that you see uh, and the answer is yes. So let me go back now and read the actual uh, piece here, the actual note. Uh, so this comes from Rosie, and Rosie writes, I have depression my whole life. It's worsened since COVID. Uh, currently, I'm approved for one year of LTD, long-term disability, but the insurance person, i.e. the adjuster, is monitoring closely for when I'm, in quotes, better. I've never gotten better in my life, only worse. So I'm anxious about my future prospects for my long-term disability. The anxiety I have about my long-term disability ending is making me even less well. My adjuster, he's a nice guy, but he's constantly trying to measure improvement that I don't feel is really happening. It's very frustrating. And then she ends by saying, is this something that is common that you see a lot? And so the issue that we're dealing with here is someone who has been approved for LTD. So, so let's start with that. Uh, so Rosie suffers from depression been worse since uh, COVID, uh, with COVID presumably, uh, and uh, she, she has been approved for LTD, which means that the insurance company, her insurance company, has agreed that she is unable to perform the essential tasks of her own occupation at this point in time, at least. Now, she's been getting LTD for a year, and if she has the standard long-term disability policy that we typically see through group health benefits and, and others, uh, at the two-year mark or close to the two-year mark, the insurance company will start uh, a process where we see many of these kinds of claims terminate. We see benefits end many times incorrectly and unjustly. And the reason why many of these benefits end at that two-year uh, two mark is because the insurance company has made an analysis and concluded that the individual is at that point in time able, in their opinion, and I stress in their opinion, to perform the essential tasks of another occupation, of, of some other occupation for which they're suited for by training, education, or experience. In many instances, however, people who are depressed, for example, who suffer from mental health uh, illnesses, depression, anxiety, PTSD, uh, various types of phobias, etc., typically, if they cannot perform the essential tasks of their own occupation, we often find that they can't perform any occupation for which they're suited for, just by virtue of the fact that mental health illnesses are usually all-encompassing. 
and, and so she's being very, very, it's obviously very, uh, you know, it, it creates a lot of anxiety for her. Now, she says something else here, which is quite interesting. She says that the, her adjuster is monitoring her uh, closely for when she is better, quote unquote. Again, we see this quite often with people calling us and saying, you know, the adjuster is sort of nice. I feel comfortable with that person. Uh, but I feel like they are trying to suss out whether or not I am better. And what does that mean? Well, the reason why they're trying to figure out if they're seeing improvement or maybe the treatments are working is because they're trying to figure out if at some point they can say that they believe that you no longer qualify for long-term disability because perhaps you're better or you're able to try a return to work program, to try to go back to work. That creates, again, as you can imagine, John, a lot of anxiety when that's not in fact the case. And, and, and that's what her concern is here. And, and what I tell people is forget about the fact that your adjuster is a nice person. Understand that the adjuster works for the insurance company. They should be taking care of you. That's the purpose of insurance, to provide the safety net, to help you when you're down, especially when you're suffering from an illness or an injury. That's the purpose of long-term disability, to help you through that time, to compensate you, to provide that substitution for the income or at least a good portion of it because you can't earn it at this point in time. But in many instances, people you know, get taken by these nice adjusters and they open up to them. And what happens oftentimes is, you know, the adjuster calls you and says, hey, John, how are you feeling today? Well, I'm, I'm feeling better, right? You, you want to put on a positive uh, persona, right. positive face. And, and, you know, what does the adjuster do? In their notes on their computer, they're saying, oh, John says he feels better today. Well, if he has enough of those notes in the file, what stops him from at some point saying, well, in my opinion, you've been getting better for the last few months. I think that it's time for you to try and go back to work. And you're saying, well, wait a second, you know, I don't actually, I mean, I feel better, but it's, it's, it's temporary or, you know, it depends on the day and, and really I'm on heavy medications and, you know, I'm not really ready and my doctors agree that I'm not ready. And so you have that situation happen where you thought you had a friend on the other side, right? But really that person, again, is working for the insurance company and is making copious notes uh, but those are going to be used against you at some point in time. So it, this is something to understand. And I really like the fact that Rosie had uh, posted this question because, yes, we do see this very, very often. You do have to be on your guard, unfortunately. I know that it's very anxiety-provoking. But one thing to remember is we are here for you. And it's not just this website that you can go to to type those questions and get those answers for free from us. You can speak to any one of us at any given point for free. And we will make sure that you know what your rights are. We'll make sure you understand how to navigate the system. And we'll make sure that the insurance company doesn't take advantage of you. And that's the key thing here. There's this power imbalance. That's one of the reasons why this, you know, there's such huge anxiety that people have because of that power imbalance. We are here to remedy that, to help you understand what your rights are, so that at least from that perspective, you're not feeling as anxious as you would otherwise be. Guys, toll-free, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. Or like that last uh, question right there and that last uh, piece that uh, Savan read, mydisabilityquestions.com. Martin, what's going on with you, pal? What do you got? You know, th thanks for that. I'm going to add to what Savan was saying in, in, with respect to that question. Um, do we see a lot of that happening? Yes, we do. Uh, and the insurance companies and the claims adjusters are very, very focused when it comes to the one-year mark, leading up to the two-year mark, when the definition changes, uh, to be more, I want to use the word intrusive, but to be more in touch with the person making the claim, with the insured, maybe with their doctors as well, because they're going to look for anything that they can use to show that there has been some form of improvement, 
so that they can say that, look, we don't think that you're disabled from work in any other occupation, because it's a difficult thing to get beyond that change of the definition mark. If they did approve somebody beyond that time frame, it's going to be more difficult to cut them off if there is no improvement, because there's no further change of definition. And that leads into uh, the week that was that I had. I spoke to somebody who has a mental health disorder. It's both anxiety and depression. Is seeing a family physician. Is seeing a psychiatrist as well. Both of those doctors support that this person cannot work, but the insurance company has denied the claim and has now sent the file itself, meaning the file contents, the claim documents, the medical records, the consult reports from the treating physicians to what they call an independent doctor. And I read the report of the independent doctor, which really doesn't come across as somebody who's independent. Um, that person's opinion has now resulted in another denial. And part of the opinion was that there's no objective findings of restrictions and limitations for somebody who's saying that they are having panic attacks, they cannot sleep, their medications have been upped. I mean, in other words, that the dosage has been increased because the previous dosage wasn't working. The person continued to have panic attacks, continue to feel extremely depressed. With depression, you get things like lack of ability to focus, poor concentration, poor sleep, cannot multitask, and all these things are present. So in that context, with the doctors who he is treating him, having had the benefit of seeing him get worse over time, actually speaking with him and observing him, they support that he cannot work. Yes, the supposedly independent doctor, which I disagree with, has now said, I disagree. I've just looked at their clinical records and the consult reports, and I don't see that there's any objective evidence to support that this person cannot work, which is ridiculous. Because this doctor has not had even the benefit of speaking to him, never, minding, never mind meeting with him, making his own observations. He's simply looking at clinical records and deciding based on the clinical records of people who have had the benefit of seeing him, he's not disabled. So the message that I want to get across on this is when you see your doctors, be it for a mental health condition or for a physical condition, quite often mental health is very important here, right? Make sure, and it's difficult, but do make sure that you get out what you want to get out so that the doctor understands what the restrictions and limitations are and try to make sure that the doctor records those restrictions and limitations. In other words, the symptoms, what it is that you're experiencing, your complaints, what bothers you, what difficulties do you have in your activities of daily living. Make sure that those are recorded in the clinical records because we say this all the time, those records likely will end up with the insurance company at some point. And if those records do not reflect what you are reporting to your doctors, it's so easy for the insurance companies and their doctors to say, look, we don't see what this person is reporting. Therefore, we don't agree that he's disabled. Now, of course, the recourse here is we get involved because it's just nonsense. And we will get the doctors to write reports to support the claimant or the insured because they're already doing that. But it's a difficult thing to fight an insurance company when you when they say to you, our doctor says, we think you can work. So make sure that you report to your doctors what it is that is happening in your life. And if there is improvement on a better day, put it in context. I had a good day today, but it was compared to me not being able to get out of the bed the previous day. And the next time you see your doctor, you report it again so that those clinical records reflect exactly what is happening in your life and why it is that you cannot work. 
Guys, coming up, I love this topic. Three key questions about surveillance and LTD, but we've got to slide into a quick break first and come right back from that. In the meantime, chance for you to uh, write down this number, keep it to follow up after the show. Call uh, Savannah or Martin or, or remember their team for sure. one 821 5900 and email help at disabilityrights.ca. We will continue. This is the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. Got you all set up here. Martin Willems uh, carrying things out of BC and Alberta, Savannah Tamark, and of course, Co-founding partner, Sanfiru Tamarkin, LLP, always reachable at 1-855-821-5900. You got the email address, help at disabilityrights.ca for quick, concise, easy-to-use memos about LTD. Ton of topics, really easy to do. Like I said, it's, it's like Lego. Anybody could use it. LTDFAQ.ca. You will not get legal speak and legal terminology. It's going to be pretty plain and simple to navigate for sure. Again, LTD. FAQ.ca. Guys, let's get into this. Three key questions about surveillance and LTD. I know, Savan, Martin, you guys like to bring this up because it gives people so much stress. Just the thought of that word surveillance and their LTD, uh, LTD coverage for sure. So number one, are insurance companies legally allowed to conduct this surveillance on claimants? What do you guys think? Uh, yes. Uh, the answer is yes. And, and John, you and I had talked about this actually yesterday when we were doing the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the, uh, I think, points that was being made is that surveillance is, is something that people, I think, are disproportionately afraid of. Because, you know, if you think about it from a, a purely psychological standpoint, you feel like you are being invaded, right? Sure. I mean, that somebody is just standing outside and taking photos and, and taking videos and you feel like you are under a microscope and I can I can imagine that some people just because of that fear, just because of surveillance, uh, that they're just going to not even apply for long-term disability, or if they have an injury, stop you know their claim for compensation for their injury. And I'm here to tell you that as someone who did defense work in the past, having been a defense lawyer working for insurance companies many many years ago, and having ordered surveillance myself against uh, claimants on on behalf of the insurance companies. I can tell you that rarely does surveillance work. Sometimes, in fact, it actually backfires on the insurance company in that it it confirms the disability or the injury that is being complained of by the individual. And the last thing I will say is that there are certain limitations for what surveillance can do. But from a purely legalistic standpoint, can they do surveillance? Yes, they can. However, however, if you think that this person that's sitting outside of your home 24 hours a day for the last two months is someone sent by the insurance company, I can pretty much guarantee you that's not the case. Surveillance is extremely expensive for insurance companies to do, particularly when we're dealing with private investigators. Uh, and I can tell you from my own experience, again, years and years ago when insurance companies would tell me to hire a private investigator, it would be for a day, two, three at a time maybe. It would be for several hours at a time. Uh, so we're not talking about just placing someone outside your house to take photos and videos for days on end. It's just too expensive. Insurance companies don't want to spend that money. They're cheap, right? That's why they deny these claims in the first place. They don't want to pay it out. It's a waste of money for them. Uh, so, so you know, 
it is legal. There are some limitations there. They can't just do whatever they want. Uh, so you need to understand that, you know, they can't contact you. They can't speak with you. They can't come into uh, your home. You know, there are limitations. And, and uh, it's also important to understand what surveillance is. And we're going to get into this a bit later. I'm not going to get into this now. But, you know, the general uh, point that I want to make here about this is, yes, it is legal within a, a within certain limitations. Insurance companies are allowed to do it but you should not be afraid of it, particularly if your claim is legit. If you are disabled, you have nothing to fear, nothing. You should go about your daily, you should follow recommendations from your doctors. If that means going to the gym or swimming or whatever it is, or taking a walk in order to make yourself better, if that's part of the recommendations for treatments from your health practitioners, you should follow those without being afraid that you know a, a cameraman is going to capture you doing that. And on that basis, the insurance company will have a legitimate reason to stop your benefits or deny your claim. Because if that happens, we get involved and we turn out against the insurance company and we go after them. Guys, we were talking about three key questions about surveillance and LTD. Martin, I'll throw the second one to you. And, and the whole basis of why we started this was how much you know anxiety and stress it can give somebody under the uh, the threat or at least under the uh, the auspice of, of, of surveillance. So can I prevent my insurer from conducting surveillance if it is affecting my health and privacy? That's a very interesting question. So the first thing I would say is, as Sivan had said, insurance companies legally can conduct surveillance. Um, if it's the thought of surveillance is going to create anxiety further from what you've already had. I don't think that in itself is going to stop an insurance company from doing surveillance because obviously they're not going to tell you that they are doing surveillance. You're not going to know that it's happening. If it does happen in the context where you find that somebody is following you and it is the insurance company who's hired an investigator and this person is living with a extreme anxiety disorder, and it results in a extreme negative response, meaning a worsening. I suppose you can get, you could speak to your doctors and have the doctors write to the insurance company. But I think by that time, the insurance company probably already has now done the surveillance. Will they stop ultimately? Uh, one would hope that they would. But can you literally just prevent them from stopping surveillance or doing any surveillance at all by telling them, no, you don't want them to do that? Uh, I don't think you could do that. If it does worsen your health, if it's happening in the moment, like I've said, I think you could probably approach your doctors, get a note from the doctor and tell the insurance company, look, this is what has happened now. You've created a worsening. So any benefit that they may have been with respect to some improvement is now gone. But will that ultimately stop the insurance company from doing further surveillance? Uh, I don't think legally you can do that. But I'm sure Savan may uh, have something to add on that. No, no, I, I agree with you 100%. You, you can't prevent them. I, I, everything you said, that's exactly what I would tell you know my clients if they had that concern. And incidentally, we also have on that website, uh, ltdfaq.ca, the, yep. the one with the memos, there's actually a memo there about surveillance. And again, it answers the most common questions that people have. Uh, so that's something that you need to understand that you know you can't prevent the insurance company from doing it, but there have been cases where insurance companies have overreached, or at least the private investigators that they have uh, um, hired have overreached, and, and that's backfired. Uh, but again, the best advice, I think, is to just simply be cognizant of the fact that insurance companies are able to do this uh, and, and that you just should go about your daily life. You know, be careful, obviously, and just make sure that you know, you're doing what makes sense and make sure that you follow whatever recommendations are, are, you know, that you have from your doctors.
Reaching out to uh, Savannah Martin, respective teams, toll free as we get on to our third question, though, one eight five five eight two one. 5,900. This stuff, as you mentioned, uh, Savan, it's, you know, it doesn't happen too often with insurance companies because it's costly. It's going to cost them a few bucks to do this even for a couple days. So does that often, for that reason, among others, I guess, does surveillance often lead to LTD benefits being cut off because they're going to want to get something for their money, right? They're going to find something. Yeah, you know, often is a relative term. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, let, let's let's reframe the question. When insurance companies, um, when they cut off benefits or they would deny deny benefits on the basis of surveillance, how often do I see that kind of a scenario? Look at the surveillance and say, "Aha, I agree with the insurance company." Almost nil. Almost never happens. In fact, in many instances, when I look at the surveillance, either it shows the exact opposite, meaning it shows the limitations the person has, or it shows nothing at all. It's just very selective. Uh, and, you know, I can tell you this, the vast majority of these cases rarely, rarely go to court. This is not American TV, okay? These cases, we resolve them with insurance companies outside of court for the most part. If we need to go, we go all the way. But typically, this doesn't end up in court. Let me tell you about an interesting case, John, that I had a few years back. It's a case, it was a personal injury case, uh, and we did actually end up going to, to court, and the defendant, the, the, the other side, did have a lot of surveillance of my client. I mean, keep in mind, that was a case that took a while. We were not the first lawyers on the file. There were other law firms. Long story short, we go to court. Uh, very unusual, of course, because these cases, again, almost never go to court. But the defendant decides to play several hours' worth of surveillance to the judge. Okay. Now, when we finally got the judgment and my client got awarded a lot of money, the judge made reference to the surveillance. And to paraphrase what the judge said, it was useless. <laughs> it was absolutely useless. I actually think it backfired for the defendant to, to waste the court's time. I was making a joke at that time that we should have, you know, the one thing they did wrong there was actually they didn't supply us with popcorn because it was so boring. We just basically were there watching my client go about his daily business and you could see that he's disabled. So my point is this, uh, insurance companies will sometimes make the decision based on surveillance to cut somebody's benefits off, to, to, uh, to end those benefits. But unless the surveillance is really on point and unless it really shows a massive inconsistency in what you've reported or what your doctor has said, there is no way in the world that the insurance company is going to be able to sustain that denial if we get involved. Now, the effect that we see here oftentimes, and I'm sure Martin can talk to this because you've seen a lot of these kinds of cases, is people get immediately very emotional. Anxiety goes through the roof. You know, you're being told by the insurance company, aha, we have surveillance. But in many instances, what I find is that it's, it's gaslighting the person. You know, it's telling the person, we have surveillance. So the first thing you think of, what did I do wrong? Even if you know that you are disabled, even if you know you did nothing wrong, you feel like maybe there's something I'm missing here. The insurance company is saying that they have me on tape doing something. So, you know, you need to take a step back. And this is why we tell people, whether it's surveillance, whether it's another reason for denial, you need to check with us. We will tell you objectively if the insurance company has any legs to stand on with their denial. And in many, many cases, the answer is absolutely not. Now, before I turn it over to Martin, I'm sure he has something to say about this. I, I want to address something else that we didn't talk about, which is that, you know, surveillance by way of video camera, foot photography, that's, it's done, but that's a thing of the past, really, for the most part, in terms of the substantive aspect of surveillance. Nowadays, surveillance, the surveillance that I think is a little bit more effective and people need to be aware of is social media. 
I mean, who do you know, John, that doesn't have Facebook? Even I have Facebook now. I mean, and that's saying <clears throat> something. I, I was able to not have Facebook for many years. Uh, but even I am now on Facebook. And I know that that dates me. I get that. But there's Instagram. There's whatever other stuff. My point is the first thing any adjuster is going to do is Google you, is go and see if they can get to your social media, if they can see some postings. And, and you know, you need to make sure that you're aware of that. Right. Everyone wants to put their best foot forward on social media. So you're posting nice pictures and videos and whatever. If your security settings are not all the way up, if if these insurance companies, these adjusters, these private investigators can get through there and just download or take a look and see and create a narrative that somehow you're not as disabled as you say you are. Remember, from their perspective, it's not about the truth. It's about perception. So if they can create perception that you are not disabled, they don't care if it's true or not. They care that now they say, aha, we can cut you off. Now we can fight against that, but that's our advice to you from that standpoint is be very aware that your social media will likely come up and that the other side, the insurance company is going to try and access that to see if they can get something there that helps them argue that you're not as disabled. Martin, what do you think, pal? You know, th this is such a good topic to discuss. And I think Savona said some very, very interesting and very relevant things. Recently, well, not that recently, but we had somebody on the show, an investigator who spoke about investigations. And the way that technology is advancing these days, I think he mentioned they were using bots even to wow. troll social media and to troll the internet. So it, it is, it's amazing how effective those things can be in accessing information on people. So I, th I find that a very scary thought, but that's a different discussion. Uh, with somebody making an LTD claim, uh, if you're on social media, be very, very careful, as Savannah said, because that is a very relevant things, thing these days. I've seen insurance companies' files when we're in a legal claim, and they have to produce their documents to us, and I see the investigator's report, and they do all types of investigations, whether the person has been in a legal claim before, whether they own properties, they do the visual surveillance, because the visual is a very powerful thing. And when you see somebody doing something, maybe they've got the person doing 10 minutes of activities when they've done surveillance for three days. That in itself says a lot. So it's also not just what do you see, it is what do you not see. Why is there no surveillance for those other days? Because the person didn't leave the house. So people get so defensive, and I understand why. You feel that you have to defend what is seen on the surveillance or what is being reported. And that puts you on the back foot, which is not where you really should be. So that's where we get involved. And we have a discussion with our clients. We have a review of the documents. And then we attack that surveillance. Because it, quite often, we turn the tables and we use the surveillance to our client's benefit where the insurance company thought they had the up hand, we changed that narrative. With that, guys, quick break. Back into some emails. Blake, thanks, pal. You're going to be up first. In the meantime, toll-free, 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And for more information and uh, catch our radio show, past shows, and our TV show, disabilityrights.ca, the website. We'll continue with the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is here. Savannah Tamarkin is here. Reaching out to the fellas. 
And they're a wonderful team, toll-free, obviously, 1-855-821-5900. The email is help at disabilityrights.ca. And they've built another website some time ago for you to ask questions through your tablet or your cell phone, your desktop for that matter, laptop, whatever. It's called MyDisabilityQuestions.com. The beauty of that is the database of uh, questions already in there is searchable. So maybe something similar to yours has been uh, answered and asked at the same, or at least previously, so you can go and read that. If not, leave yours there. It'll get to get taken care of. Guys, first email for the day is Blake. He says, I have a degenerative condition that makes me unable to stand, sit, or walk for more than a few minutes at a time. I'm 52, and I've paid into a long-term disability plan for over 26 years. Now that I need their help, they turn me down because they say that I'm not disabled as I think I am. I've been going to a neurologist for three years who wrote them two letters telling them that I can't work They still turn me down because of their doctor's opinion, their doctor's opinion. I'm at the end of the rope, man, and I don't know how to deal with them. Please help. Awful. It it is awful. And, you know, as I'm reading this this email from this poor guy, John, uh, I'm going to do something for our next show, Martin, I think. I'm going to ask one of our students to dig up some court decisions where, and I'm sure you're aware of some of them as well. Uh, They're across the country. Um, different courts where judges have specifically commented about how some of these doctors hired by insurance companies are simply hired guns. Uh, they're not there to provide an objective opinion, even though that's their duty. And in fact, I can tell you that uh, in some jurisdictions, doctors even have to sign a certain form confirming and attesting to the fact that their opinion is objective and is for the purpose of helping the parties try and resolve the matter or, or being helpful to the court. And so when I hear something like this, it really makes me angry because you have someone here with a degenerative condition. So it's something that by definition is going to continue getting worse. And he's paid into the policy. So it's a private policy. We're not talking about the employer paying. I mean, that also is not nice when, you know, you're applying for LTD, even if it's part of a group benefits plan and you get denied. But in a case where you yourself have paid into it for 26 years. And now the insurance company is saying that you're not disabled, despite the fact that you know you are, despite the fact that you have a specialist who wrote them several letters saying you cannot work. I mean, that's just egregious in, in my mind. Now, I want to see the deny letter here, Blake. I want to see the medical documentation. In some cases, uh, it is so blatantly obvious that the insurance company is wrong and that you know they've hired someone, an external person, uh, someone to review the claim, simply to get a contrary opinion, contrary to the treating doctor's opinions. Sometimes it's so blatant that it gives rise to punitive damages, that we can say that the insurance company is clearly not acting in in the manner in which they are supposed to, which is they have a good faith duty, a duty of good faith towards their insurance. I don't know if that's what's happened here. On its face, it just looks very, very stark to me. It also looks like a case, by the way, that if Martin or I or one of our uh, team members would have would get involved, uh, I think we can probably resolve this claim fairly quickly. You know, another thing that I think that we see often, and again, I'm sure Martin can speak to this as well, is sometimes we see claims that are denied on the basis of opinions, medical opinions, uh, procured by the insurance company. And when we look at the doctors that the insurance companies have engaged, they don't even have the correct specialty to comment <laughs> on the disabling condition. Sometimes they're general practitioners and we're dealing with a, with a specific illness or, or an injury that requires a specialist's opinion. Or sometimes it's just a different person altogether. Because remember, oftentimes we're dealing with adjusters 
who don't necessarily have the know-how, the expertise, or the training to probably to to, to adequately uh, adjudicate these claims. So, Blake, I understand completely why you are at the end of your rope. And, and th this is the last comment I'll make before I hand it over to Martin is insurance companies are counting on you being at the end of your rope. In fact, they're counting on that rope being severed. They're counting on you walking away. And in fact, that does happen. And we do have people contacting us and have been contacting us for years, ever since we've been doing this, this show, saying, you know, 10 years ago, if I knew you guys and I heard what you guys were saying and I knew I had a chance to get the insurance company, I would not have given up. Mm -hmm. I'm still disabled. We get those all the time. And when we tally up how much money these people lost, and by lost I mean that the money stayed in the insurance company's pockets, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, that is owed, legitimately owed to people. Do not give up. At the very least, do not make the decision to walk away from your claim without speaking to one of us, especially since it's free to get this advice. At least you'll know what your options are. You know, John, I, I, can't, I don't know how much more I can, I can stress this. I do have people who are simply intimidated by the process. They just don't want to have anything to do with mm -hmm. it. Not understanding that this is money that's owed to them. This is not charity. These insurance companies are holding money that is literally owed to them. If the bank owed you money and said, I'm not paying you, would you simply walk away? Yeah, no, exactly. you'd say it's my money, right? So that's what we're telling you. Now, you make the decision you want to make. But what I'm saying is that if we tell you you have a case, you have a case period. Martin, what do you think? Well, <laughs> reading this email, uh, I, first thing I was going to say is I think you could do a whole show just on what Blake is said in here. Uh, it, it, Savon says it makes him angry. It really makes me angry. Maybe it's just the mood I'm in today because of what <laughs> I've seen this past week. Um, when your doctor says you, it, it adds to what I was saying earlier this morning with the claim that I, with the person I had spoken to already uh, this week, if you have a doctor, and this is a neurologist, so it's a specialist, and they don't like to spend too much time writing letters for insurance companies because there's a doctor shortage, they want to treat people, so they try to do what they can. And this neurologist has had the benefit of seeing Blake. He's written two letters, which in a way tells me that Blake went probably in a good place mindset into an appeal process, and that was unsuccessful, which again tells you what we think of appeals. But the fact that the neurologist wrote that letter, two of them, saying that Blake is unable to work in a job that he has had for 26 years because of a degenerative condition. So clearly he has pain. It's probably in his spine. Don't know what type of job he does. Maybe it is very physical. How the hell do you then turn around and say, oh, our doctor has looked at this and we think that you're not as disabled as you say you are or as even worse as you think you are. So clearly Blake is not cannot be a judge as to, of his own body as to what he's able to do or not to do. I know it sounds like a bit of a rant, but seriously, I've seen enough of these cases. This is a case that I would jump on because they should not get away with this. Blake has paid into this policy for 26 years. He is now disabled, clearly has a good work ethic because he's been working for 26 years. He didn't choose this. Going on LTD is not what people want to do. They're going to get less money than if they were working. So this is not a place where anybody wants to be. And when it, you get in that place, it's a very scary place. Then you get an insurance company who tells you that you cannot be paid because they don't think you're disabled as you say you are or think you are and your doctor says you are. Um, we've seen enough of these. Don't get involved in that process. Come speak with us and we will help you. Because in a situation like this, I can tell you we can help you. 
Blake, good move writing that email, man, and you're going to follow up with a phone call. Absolutely. Here's how you do it, one 821 5900 Help awaits for sure. And uh, for you as well, you can call that number anytime. Reach out through email just like Blake did, help at disabilityrights.ca. we still got uh, some few minutes and uh, some more stuff to go, guys, so we'll do that after a short break here on the Disability Law Show. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, welcome back. A few minutes to go here in the Disability Law Show. Thank you so much for stopping by. If you spent the hour with us, you're probably a lot smarter about the disability world dealing with insurance companies than you were almost 60 minutes ago. Good on you. That's what we like you to do. You want to reach out afterwards, though, and uh, ask some questions, get some information from Sivan or from Martin. You can do so. It's toll-free, one 821 help at disabilityrights.ca. Question for you, Sivan. What happens if you're denied short-term disability rather than long-term disability what's the uh what's the difference there well i mean short-term disability obviously is for a shorter period of time right you're talking about several months uh of of being entitled to that uh, and we help with those as well you know i know that we speak a lot about long-term disability because this is the majority of what we see coming to our office people contacting us but you do have people who are denied short-term disability that's absolutely key here now uh, short-term disability is oftentimes denied by employers. Uh, many times it's the employer that's the one that's paying that out. Sometimes there's an insurance company that's advising them on what to do. Um, but typically speaking, it's not an insurance company. I will tell you, though, that in many instances, you should get us involved at that initial stage. If you are denied short-term disability rather than long-term at the outset, contact us because many people who are denied short-term are also denied at some point long-term disability. We might be, you know, we should be there from the beginning. Uh, So some people, what they do, uh, John, is they get denied the the short-term and then they apply for long-term or or they simply forget about it, right? They give up and then afterwards they see the disability is not going away and then they go after long-term having forgotten about the short-term. So, you know, that's all to say that we can help with both. Uh, in many instances, the test is very much the same, identical. In fact, especially if it's the same insurance company that is the one paying you the short term and the long term, it, it's always awkward to me. And by the way, I spoke with somebody earlier this week out of Calgary that uh, it was, was approved short term disability. They got that with an insurance company. And then when it came time to apply for long term disability, same insurance company, they were denied long-term disability. And when I looked at the documentation, the policies, the test was identical. In other words, the test to get short-term disability benefits was identical to the long-term disability benefits. The only difference here is that there were two separate adjusters, one dealing with the short-term disability insurance and the other one with the long-term. But again, the same insurance company. So think about that for a second. You have two separate adjusters, same insurance company, same medical documentation, same disabling condition, and yet one adjuster concludes one thing, with the documentation this person provided and the other adjusters concluded something else. Mm. I mean, that was an easy, easy thing for me to advise on. And frankly, I can probably resolve this very quickly with the insurance company once they understand how ludicrous that situation is. So that just tells you again that we can help on both fronts. Don't be afraid. Call us, speak with us. If, if we think we can't help or we think that, you know, the denial was legitimate, we'll tell you that too. We're not in the business of just stringing you along if we don't think you have a case. But at least by calling us and getting that free advice, you'll know what your options are. You'll be empowered. You'll know what your uh, uh, position is vis-a-vis the insurance company. 
and you'll be able to make an informed decision. And that's what it's all about. Guys, you're going to love this email from Dan. It's like uh, it's like bespoke emailing for this show. It's exactly what we talk about. He says, guys, I've appealed the denial of my long-term disability three times already. I've been accepted into CPP disability. I don't understand how I could be getting CPP disability, but at the same time denied my LTD. Can you help me? Yes. <laughs> That's it. That's, That's it. End. Done. Have a good show. Enjoy your weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's a good so, email. It is a good email, and again, you could do a whole show on this one. Yeah. Um, Dan, in good faith, obviously, decided to apply for LTD because he probably has his doctor's support that he cannot work. His claim was denied, and good faith decided to appeal and appeal and appeal again three times. And with each appeal process, he would have submitted more medical evidence, one would think, from the doctors who clearly think that he cannot work because they also submitted medical evidence to Service Canada, to apply for the CPP disability benefit. Now, in order to get a CPP disability benefit, you have to prove to Service Canada, to the government, which people often tell me it's so difficult, I don't think I'm going to get it, but they're still trying. You have to prove to the government that you have an illness or a condition that is number one, severe, and number two, prolonged, to the extent that it prevents you from engaging in any gainful occupation. I've said that phrase probably a thousand times. Mm -hmm. That is what you need to do to convince the government that you cannot work so that the government will pay you a CPP disability benefit, not an insurance company. And the government has accepted that Dan cannot work in any gainful occupation. So clearly he has good medical evidence. He has the evidence and the support from his doctors that that is exactly his situation. Now, with respect to the application that he made with the insurance company, for the first two years for long-term disability, the only thing he needed to prove was that he is unable to perform the regular duties of his own occupation. Not that wide range when you get to the change of definition in any occupation phase. And that is what he tried to do three times. And the insurance company simply denied him. I would be interested to see why and what, I, what reasoning they came up with as to why they denied this claim. But does this happen? Can we help? Yes, we can. Because we do see this on a regular basis. People trust the appeal process. I'm not going to say that it never works. But if it does work, you may be in that relationship and they could cut you off again. But that's a different discussion. You need to have a discussion with us so that we can discuss your options with you and you can make a decision as to which of those options would be the one that you choose. But with respect to these appeal processes, again, they're not independent. The thought of an appeal, if you were to appeal from one decision made by a court, for example, to a different court, that would be an entirely different entity with an entirely different makeup making the decision. Here it is, you're appealing to the same insurance company who initially denied your claim, and you did it three times. So clearly, Dan is a very trusting man, but by this time, he should really be in touch with us so we can assist, and we can. One thing else that I wanted to say on this point is be wary that there is something called a limitation period that runs from the date that your claim is denied. And that limitation period runs regardless of whether you are appealing the process. The limitation period is the time frame within which you can pursue a legal claim. And by trusting the process of an appeal, the limitation period continues to run. So be, be very careful not to run that limitation period out. So the advice to anybody out there is if your claim is denied, 
If you haven't spoken to us before, you speak to us right then so that you can understand what your options are. And we can also speak to you about what the limitation period is that runs, which will prevent you from pursuing a legal claim if it runs out. Well done, guys, for another show for sure. And reaching out to Suvan or Martin now is really simple. Now that we're going to wrap it up for a, another hour, toll-free, use this number, one 821 5900 email is help at disabilityrights.ca. You can ask questions through mydisabilityquestions.com. And we always direct you in the in the direction of ltdfaq.ca because there's very short, easy to read, and digest memos on LTD written in plain speak, ltdfaq.ca. And we'll catch you next time in the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.